0: Hi, I'm
1: Dan Gibson. I'm on staff here with Kai Alpha at CSU, and welcome to the Kai Alpha Winter Break Podcast, where we'll be talking about knowledge of the holy as we're reading through it together as a community. On this week's episode, Brent and Nate sit down and talk about the goodness and love of God. And I also get to sit down with Hannah Hendrickson as she shares her story about how she has pursued and fought for girls to be a part of her life and to be a part of her small group. So stay tuned.
2: All right, well, Brent, here we are again. And uh, we don't have our mochas, unfortunately, <laughs> today. I don't have my mocha, but uh, exactly. we are going to Hal and Cow later. Yeah, that's true. So maybe we I'm can look forward to that. Yeah. one then. So what, what have you been reading in this book since last time we were talking?
3: Yeah, so we're getting into the next six chapters of Knowledge of the Holy, if you're following along with us. Uh, this next six are really interesting because we see the shift happen where uh, previously in the first 12 chapters and a couple in this section, we're looking at the nature of God. We're looking at, uh, attributes that he has that he just has because he has them. Yeah. He's <laughs> <There's> his- <laughs> all
2: powerful. Right. And he's, mm-hmm. yeah, he's bigger than us. he's, he's. You know, all All of these aspects of just his being exactly yeah <laughs> right, yeah. but then we're we're starting to get into
3: some chapters such as the goodness of god the the justice of God, the mercy of God, those that look habits. at yeah that he's he's a moral being he's yeah. he's a being who uh it seems like he makes choices um and it, and there seems to be some guidance for those choices, so yeah. yeah it's it's kind of fascinating that he's he's not just uh impersonal force,
2: right, in You might ways. have somebody who's really strong. But what they do with that strength is a different thing. Right. So talking about how, they're, how you know, they've been a bodybuilder and how they, you know, their physique or their thing, you know, that's one aspect of maybe their being. But then there's a whole other thing about how they use that in, in reality as we understand it. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah. How, um, so where, what are some of those attributes that we're looking at here?
3: Yeah, uh, one of the chapters that really stood out to me is chapter 16. Uh, it's about the goodness of God. Uh, Tozer, I'm just going to read really briefly his definition of that. He says the word good means so many things to so many persons, which is true, Uh, that this brief study of divine goodness begins with a definition. When Christian theology says that God is good, it is not the same thing as saying he's righteous or holy. The holiness of God is trumpeted from the heavens and re-echoed on earth by saints and sages wherever God has revealed himself to men. However, we are not at this time considering his holiness, but his goodness, which is quite another thing. So, this is his definition: The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is mm-hmm. tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing ad- attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he's inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people.
2: Mm, that's good. And this this is really where we're starting to, in many ways, delineate um, the idea of of God in our scriptures from, say, uh, any other ideas of deity, or right. or even other ideas of monotheistic ideas of Abrahamic uh, ideas of the divine, like the. When we start getting into some of these moral aspects, uh, we're really starting to see kind of where the rubber meets the road in who is he. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so any thoughts or questions that kind of jump out is that you think maybe our our listeners or re- watchers, whatever way you're you're observing or listening to this, like what are some things you think maybe they'd be asking after starting to get into this area? Totally.
3: I one question that came to mind for me is. If we say God is good, and Tozer gives an excellent definition of what is good, why is that good? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, what makes benevolence and kindness and tenderheartedness right. good? Right. Is it intrinsically good, or is it good for another reason? You know, what? Right. how do we arrive at that?
2: Yeah, I, I remember hearing um, an atheist uh, debater make that argument that God isn't good, there isn't good, everything is subjective, um, because, uh, just to use love as an example of, of an attribute of, of God's character here, but uh, they said either uh, love is this this aspect of reality that God is just understanding and recognizing, he becomes sort of a policeman mm-hmm. to or, that yeah. Idea of morality, but really is, the, is just the enforcer of this reality. So, really, love is the thing that we should be worshiping oh, okay. and, and serving. Um, or it is really subjective that love isn't the highest good wow. objectively, yeah, but it's just uh, you know, God could have chosen that hate, you know, could have created another <laughs> yeah. world out there where hate <laughs> is the greatest good and love is the greatest <laughs> right. evil. Yeah. And, and in which case, you know, it simply becomes subjective. And, and and their argument was like, well then at that point, you know, you might say it's objective to us as humans because God has chosen that. But really at the end of the day, it's yeah. still a subjective idea. Wow. Um which which the the christian uh, theologian who was who was debating in this actually brought up i think a really good point there is they said you have to understand that it, it's not a or b it's actually c okay. there is a third option here that what we're actually saying is that morality is not something that god recognizes uh, external of himself as being good and therefore is working from it. Um, and it's not something subjective that is it, there is no such thing as good. And he's just subjectively saying that, but it's based on his intrinsic character wow. okay. that there is, that there are attributes of himself. And so sometimes uh, a way to think of this is morality is reality, okay. right? It is, it is the highest understanding of reality. Mm-hmm. Um Not to say that in some sense evil isn't real, that's not not saying that, Mm -hmm. but we say evil is a distortion of what is actually ultimately Uh, good, right? And so you might say that someone, you know, take a a horrendous example, but like someone who rapes someone, that is, we see that as a distortion of the potential of of real love between a man and a woman in in a covenant relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And so the idea that the ultimate reality Mm -hmm. is is what morality is based on. And in Christianity, we have the ability to say that because we can say God, his nature is that ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. And so as we're living out reality in the physical realm, um, the highest form of of morality is whatever is getting closest to His nature. Wow. Okay. And so that's in that sense, it's not subjective. It's huh. based yeah. upon the Creator and how He created. Okay. Um, and and it's not um, something that is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's based on Him. It's not something external from Him. It is Him. Yeah. Well. And which is why we talk about like coming closer to him there is a greater sense of maybe moral uh, morality if you will. Um, we don't say it that way but you could say it in, in a in that sense that there's a greater sense of morality when we come to Christ because because that's why you know even Jesus says no one is good mm-hmm. right because because we have all lived apart from the ultimate reality yes. apart from the divine. Mm-hmm. So then we get into really fun conversations about how um, ultimately what is it in his character? What are those attributes right. that that really all of these moral ideas are coming from? And so I think was kind of flowing in and out of, sure. of that conversation a little bit. But you could say, I think one of the things that's what's really fascinating in my thinking is, is the understanding that in... In the idea of the Christian God, we have this idea that's so foreign to any other thought, um, but is so unique to Christianity, and that is the idea of the Trinity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and what that allows us—what's so fascinating about that—is that it's that there's sort of this tension where um, you have this idea on one side of the uncaused cause. Uh, which is where monotheism really thrives in understanding of where does all this come from? You don't get that in, in really a pantheistic or polytheistic idea of, of the divine. Like, well, if there's yeah. multiple gods, well, who, who started all this? Or where did all this begin? You know, pantheism, all things are God. Well, again, you're kind of left with this question of like, well, how did all this start? Where did all this begin? But, but in monotheism, you're left with this question without the Trinity, you're left with this question. well, is God love and is he good because you're, you're brought back to that same issue and the answer oftentimes that they will find in in studies of other ideas of, of monotheistic belief in, in the divine uh, the answer is no, he's not love. He can't be because love is intrinsically a relational concept and he can't be a relational being. Mm. You can say he created us to fill that need, but then you're saying that the divine has a need that is pressing upon him externally. Again, there's something outside of him that's pressing on him, and that yep. doesn't make any sense. And so it has to be something from within him. And only in the Christian God do we have the ability to merge these two ideas, that we know where everything has come from. that He is the source of reality, yeah. and so our morality is found in him. Wow. And in that morality, we find the basis of that morality, yeah. which is found at least in part, and I think a big part of how we understand, because Christianity at the end of the day, we know, is about coming into relationship with God. Yeah. And so we understand how we relate to him in the same way that he relates within his own being. And that's an intrinsic internal reality of his uh, existence, yeah. that he is yeah. a relational being in the way that he relates to the other parts of his yeah. True. Triune head. Wow. So amazing. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah, did, yeah, it, did, it makes total totally... sense. I mean it's
3: incredible to think about. Tozer says at one point that uh for instance mercy, because it is uh just an attribute of God, mm. that it's always existed in him. That mercy's never had a beginning. Yeah. It was not created. Yeah. It's just something he's always been totally. is merciful. Um yeah. And I think that's really fascinating about all his attributes, you know. It yeah. and Tozer really makes that point uh that these are uncreated. These are right. infinite. These are eternal just as God is in his right. nature. So they all flow together. Yeah. That's good. You can't separate his nature from his character. Right. So to speak. Yeah, you, and in, you in see yeah.
2: and you see that like uh even in the physical world's like the more we understand the foundational ideas of reality, the more those things express themselves in a myriad of ways. You know, the more, the more we've understood quantum mechanics, the more we've uh, gotten smartphones and all kinds of technology things that have x-ray machines and all kinds of things that have developed. As we've understood more foundational premises, they, they express themselves in a myriad of ways, but they're all based on the same foundational realities. Yeah. And so I think in some ways we start to realize that like morality is is really just uh, the expression of God's relational nature in our contexts in different ways. And we give them titles to really kind of like, so we can work with them and kind of define them in different ways, which is why Jesus said like, you know, the greatest commandment, uh, all the laws of the prophets, all these contexts were really defined based on this foundational reality of love, um, love to each other and love to God, You know, but but we see that principle that the that the closer we get into God, the more we're just seeing a truer, uh, richer, deeper, more foundational idea of what authentic relationship looks like, and and which is why we say sometimes you know the kingdom of God is built on relationship, Uh, not not just like hey we're tagging this on hey yeah yeah, like serve God and hey yeah you get to have relationship, but that but. That is, huh. at the essence, wow. you know, Jesus' prayer in, in the end of John. Wow. You know, I'm going to go to the cross. And what's yeah. the goal? That they may be one as we are yeah. one. That the only yeah. way that he could relate the church's uh, relationship to each other was by defining the Trinity mm-hmm. and then saying, and may they be in us. May they draw close into this triune you know, the early uh, church fathers called it the divine dance. That this yeah. dance that the that the Godhead has with each other that just kind of works in harmony with each other, even though they're independently stepping, they're stepping in dance together. They're working wow. in the same rhythm of of relationship, and so we're invited into that relationship. And the more that we learn about Him, um, the the more we uh, are able to start. Stepping into that dance in greater and greater ways.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the uh, something interesting Tozer also says. Uh, let me see if I can find the reference. Is he says the the paradox of faith is on the one hand that we we are afraid of God um, because of his natural attributes. You know, his all powerfulness. Right. His transcendence you know there's something right. there's something there about you know really being um, not just in awe but actually kind of scared <laughs> mm. of god yeah. on the other hand his moral attributes his mercy his kindness uh, his goodness mm. draws us to him right. and we lose our fear right. he says that it's like this paradox that's the paradox of faith is that yeah. we're both afraid of god we fear god yeah. uh, and it's a really important concept in scripture and yeah. on the other hand we lose our fear of him Right, because of these things, you know, so right. it's really interesting. Yeah.
2: In our natural worlds, we, we can't only do one of the two, right? right. You, you can only, the greater someone is, the more you're in fear of them or, or, you know, you try to bring them down at your level so you can relate to them. In God, we have this strange tension of never watering down that profoundness yeah. while still having that relatability, uh, which is why Christ was, was such a profound... Um, step. I mean, not his existence, but his incarnation was such a profound thing in all of reality because without him, uh, we would never have been able to, to merge those two tensions in the way that we are able to now Right. Uh, as a result. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know,
3: Tozer mentions that in the justice of God chapter, uh, how, um, Christ is sort of the, the covering for us. He, he, he is the place where we can hide. He's the, he's the one we can go to um, and find mercy um, and justice and all these attributes from God as well.
1: All right, I'm sitting here with Hannah Hendrickson. Hannah, welcome.
0: Thank you, Dan. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How about awesome. you?
1: Good, good. Not good. too bad. It's been a great day so far. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about today about responsibility. Uh, as one of our core convictions. And so I'd love to hear, well, first, how did you get involved with Alpha When Alpha? You, so you're an alum from yes. CSU. Yes. So you came here. Uh, I'd just love to hear like how you got involved with KAI Alpha.
0: Yeah. So I came from Washington State, and I didn't know anyone except for one person, McKinley Gunzel. And her little sister was one of my best friends growing up. And so... We didn't really talk about Chi Alpha or Christian ministry or anything like that before I got here. But as soon as I got here, I knew that I wanted to pursue my faith and I knew that I wanted to have Christian community. I've never had that before, um, ever, or not really gone to church or anything like that. And so I went to the faith fair and I got a bunch of flyers and I was really overwhelmed with the choices. And so I was like, hey, McKinley, what campus ministry should I try? And she was like, well you can just come to Kai Alpha tonight or back then it was called the outpost. And yeah. so I was like, why not? I'll give it a try. And so I went and then I didn't try any other campus ministry since then. Um, so I got involved in her small group. I was the only freshman for a little bit and it was a lot of upperclassmen. Um, my small group leader was Christina Carver and Rachel von Sagren. And so, it was me and a lot of juniors, and so it was awesome cool. because I got mentorship from all of them right off the bat, That's awesome. um, and we got to all go through small group leading training together. And so we're still really close to this day, and I love talking with them, catching up. Um, I saw my small group leader at Thanksgiving, which was really sweet. And so, yeah, been here, been history ever since then.
1: That's awesome. So you're on staff now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you get from coming to CSU? You're like, I don't even know. I don't want to be part of community, but I'm not sure which one to now you're on staff. What was what was that transition like from a freshman who's just like learning to walk with Jesus at CCU to now moving into, you know what, I wanna I wanna now lead people to Christ myself and disciple mm-hmm. them. What is that how did that look in transition?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. It has been a journey <laughs> for sure. A lot of learning and a lot of growing. Um I remember I went to a Large group and Duncan Chance was preaching about what it means to be a fisher of men, and I have never heard that before. Um, In high school, I didn't have any Christian friends and I didn't know that it was appropriate to share my faith with anyone else. Um, I kind of kept it more of a secret, more in my private life. And then he gave that sermon, and I was hit with conviction, just weeping during worship that um, I have an opportunity to share my faith. Um, I also had a really hard time my freshman year, I was really homesick and I had a lot of anxiety. And my small group and my small group leader really brought me in. Um, She picked me up, gave me rides everywhere, let me meal prep with her and was just there whenever I cried, (laughs) like every small group. And so um, the Lord really put that on my heart, that what um, he gave to me, that he wants me to help with other people. And so um, my heart was changed a lot in wow, this love that has been provided to me through my small group and my small group leader um, needs to be shared. And so I just was really looking forward to, man, how do I love on freshmen? How do I love on um, girls from out of state, girls who have anxiety, who have gone through these similar things? Um, And how can we have them be convicted to be fishers of men or women as
1: well? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So that led you, as you got a heart for that, that led you you probably did LTC decided you want to become a small group leader. What was it like that first year small group leading for you?
0: Yes. Um, it was rough. (laughs) (laughs) It was definitely rough. Um, I went through LTC as a freshman, and sophomore year, I thought, I was so excited, I was pumped, I wasn't really nervous, Um, I was just really excited to meet people, and my mistake was I tried to do it all on my own, and I didn't involve my resource, I didn't really honestly involve God a whole lot, it felt like at first, Um, I really thought that girls would, um, I could hang out with them, and that would be enough. And so I didn't have a small group for the first month and a half around. Um, And then I got tired of it. And I was like, man, Lord, um, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it like I thought I could. I need your help. And so instead of going out and being social and meeting people with my own efforts, I started praying. I started getting on my knees and asking God for a small group rather than trying to go find one myself. And crazy story. I met um, this girl in Welcome Week and um, two months later, i never heard from her. She came to like a house gathering and then I'd heard from her for like a month and a half, two months. And then I get a text from her and it said, Hey, I found myself praying today and wow. I don't know anything about God. Like, can we get coffee? And I was like, Come wow. On. All right. That is all God answers prayers. <laughs> yeah. And so eventually that just kept happening. Um, from prayer, he just gave me all of my small group girls I had around, um, nine to 12 girls, depending on the week. Wow. And he just That's literally awesome. plopped them in my life by nothing that I did, but all that he did. And so I quickly had to learn a dependency on God mm. and not a dependency on myself and my own efforts. Um, so yeah, it was great. Um, I had a lot of non-believers in my small group, my fresh, my first year and a few international students. And so, and then my own small group leader was in my small group. Talk about intimidating. She is a wise woman. So (laughs) it was really challenging to learn how to create a lesson, um, that was both applicable to a non-believer who had no idea what the gospel was to an international student and to an incredibly, um, mature believer who was more mature than I was. (laughs) And so that was, um, a lot of growing. But once again, that came from every time I'd pray the night before my small group, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And I learned that the best small groups are when he does it, not when I do it. And so I had to learn that a lot. Um, My small group wasn't very close with each other. I remember that. That was really challenging. It's really hard to get people to be friends with each other and not just you. Um, But it started to happen around spring break, finally. (laughs) And then it really took off. And so that was really sweet. And we're all um, really good friends to this day, even though I have a com- had a completely different small group the year that's after.
1: Cool. So I think that's little challenge for a lot of small group leaders is like they have good relationships, good friendships with different individuals within their small group. But sometimes it's hard for them to get them to be connected to one another. What are some things that you've maybe tried or you you did that were like, man, that there was this moment that, we like came together, and they like they went through this thing together. And now, after that, it was because you talk about a little bit about spring break. So I don't know if there was something that took place during that time, or if there's something else that that happened that you look back like that was that was the critical moment that mm-hmm. like brought all the girls together. Do you have anything?
0: Yeah, like that. Totally. Um, a few things come to mind. Um, my first small group every year, I try to be very blunt with them right off the bat and tell them like, Hey, this is our group of friends. This is our family for this year. And this is not just a small group. I don't just love you because you're in my small group. I love you because I want you to be my best friend for life. Like this isn't just a, um, semester thing. This isn't just yeah. a year thing. Like I want to be bridesmaids at your wedding. Like I want wow. to be involved in your life forever. And so, um, we have to make it very sure from the beginning that we love these girls and we love each other. Um, not just because we are coincidentally in a small group together. Um, but because we really love one another and we yeah. want to serve one another. And so, That's good. um, we, Constantly, it was kind of a gradual process of bringing up, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to ask really hard questions, and they did. I was very caught off guard by a lot of the questions they would ask. Yeah. Um, but, man, I remember a few, a few instances. Some were fun. I've um, done scavenger hunts across Old Town where we played Minute to Win It games. We went bar hopping, which we went to a... What get it, a wait, hold on. Okay. Yeah. What's, what's bar hopping? What's <laughs> yes, that? so... We went to a coffee bar, took espresso shots. We went to get a coffee or a chocolate bar at Rocket Fizz, (laughs) and a soda bar. We picked a really gross soda and ate it all together. Okay, that's
1: that's reassuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Nate was listening to this and going, "Hold on." Great. I don't know what we're teaching in LTC (laughs) or what they're picking up on, but that's. I'm glad you clarified. Yeah,
0: you got to add a little rebellious streak to your small group. Yeah, we got to get rowdy. Yep. Got to get rowdy. rowdy. Yeah. So that was one way um, doing lots of fun things together. And then realizing that um, I went through a, a little bit of a rough time that year as well, and so me being vulnerable myself, um, it actually brought them together to be my friend <laughs> during it, and that they would give me advice, and that they would be um, my friend. And so they really kind of united together to help me, honestly, and we just kind of took turns in that way. You know, um, I remember my freshman year in small group one girl would cry every small group, every week. <laughs> like we would just alternate and then we would support one another during that. And so um, we had one small group where we did life maps, where we did, um, hey, mark five turning points in your life that impacted your life. And we each went through those and listened. We like worked on listening to each other and their story. And so I think that really grew us as well. Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool. Awesome. One of the things that we, we love... Uh, in Kyopha is like creating memories. Like we just we love memories. And I found that like when we create those memories together as small groups, it really it sort of brings us it brings all the community together. And I was just wondering, you you've been an awesome small group leader. I've heard girls rave about you and we have amazing small group leaders now who have great small groups and they, they come from your lineage. And so Yeah, I've just heard snippets here and there, but I was wondering if you would share a story of maybe like the craziest thing that you got your girls to do with you Mm -hmm. that turned out to just be one of the greatest memories.
0: Yes, that is a great question. Well, first of all, I have one in the making that I've been trying to do since I first met my very first small group girl. Um, We have... This tradition that's passed down through my small group leader and her small group leader, Annalisa, where whenever they pray, they hold hands like otters, Um, because otters, when they hold hands like that, they they do that because they when they mate, they mate for life. And so we want to be friends for life, like I said. And when they do that, so that when they sleep, they don't float away from each other. And so we do that every small group when we pray, we say otter up. And I think that uh, my small group who are now small group leaders, they hopefully do that as well. If you don't, I'll be talking to you. (laughs) And um, one thing that we tried to do from the beginning is get an otter tattoo on our butts. And I'm still looking forward to when that happens. Um,
1: Wait, 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 say that again. (laughs) Yes. You're encouraging that girls from your lineage get otter tattoos? Is that? Yes, otter tattoos,
0: a really tiny one. (laughs) Um, My small group leader, Christina, is very, um, she's just so well thought out and practical that she actually ordered a temporary one and tried it for a week and didn't like it. And so we are on board. I have about three or four girls who would do it with me, but that's in the process. (laughs) Um, But one of the original stories I have is um, when I first met one of my best friends to this day, Jenna, um, I just met her and I was like, man, I really want this girl to like hanging out with me or do something fun, and Ryan Lotta actually was also a first-year small group leader at the time, and so we decided, hey, why not do something rowdy and go break into an abandoned Hughes Stadium? <laughs> and so that's what we did. We waited for yeah. it to be dark. There was four of us, and we snuck in. Um, we looked. It was an incredible stargazing, by the way, at Horse Tooth, and we walked around and um, did what we could to the limit before the alarm. Ring, <laughs> and before we jumped the wall and so you ran guys away, set,
1: you guys set the alarm off.
0: I, we, I think we think we did. Oh, okay. Because whenever you step on the field, we were told it sets the alarm off. And Ryan Latta, being the guy that he is, wanted to see how far he could go <laughs> without causing it to go off. And so he ended up going on the field. Nothing happened. Went to the center of the field, and then we heard some sirens. And so we um, we booked it. Yeah. So.
1: Oh, so like police? The police were coming.
0: Yeah, we think we don't know for sure. We like to think you guys just stick around. We are, yeah. So mind you, this was crazy. I'm not very rebellious, as a lot of you know, and so this was a wild moment for me. Um, But it worked. We made a memory. Jenna and I are still like best friends, and we always look back on, "Hey, remember that one time?" like where we did the most rebellious thing we've ever done in college, <laughs> which is kind of sad. Um, we <laughs> broke into a stadium. Hey, so it bonded my, us.
1: My, my wife would be, she'd be right there with you with the, are you sure we should be doing this?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was me. But I was definitely the cautious one.
1: It's good, it's good to get rowdy every now and then. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, well, Hannah, thank you so much for sitting down and just sharing your story with us. Uh, and with me, I have, yeah, I was learned a lot Otter up. Otter Up. Otter Up. Man, that, Otter up. We should, uh, I wonder if she get that and uh, LTC <laughs> and maybe Nate yeah. could teach on that. That'd be fantastic. Leave well,
0: the
1: legacy. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week.